everyone, I'm Amy Barajas and this is the NICU Family, a podcast dedicated to families that are going through the NICU experience. Through this podcast, I hope you find support, community, and hope by connecting you to other families that have been in your shoes. Hey everyone, welcome back to today's episode. Today is a special episode because uh, we will be recording our story with baby Luke. Today my guest is my husband, Adrian Barajas. Say hi, hon. Hello, everyone. So today we decided to record our episode together. That way we can share both of our experiences and just kind of um, show how the NICU experience with baby Luke affected us as a family and as a couple and as parents. So um, do you want to introduce yourself, tell everybody what you like to do? All right. Well, my name's Adrian Barajas. I am Amy's husband. <laughs> We've been married going on eight years now. It's eight years already. It's already eight years? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, together 13, very long time, seems. We were kids when we met. We were. <laughs> um, so... I, I guess my passion is music now. I've been doing it for probably close to two and a half years now. Then started making music about a year ago. It's been a real, you know, therapy in itself for me. And uh, because music, music with DJing, you know, I'm a DJ. So I've been doing that and just trying to chase that dream of becoming a DJ producer. That's great. And I support that 100%. I just want to put that out there. (laughs) So we're going to start in talking about getting pregnant and just our decision to have another baby because we have a three-year-old. And um, we had a plan that after two years, we would start trying again. And we did. And then we quickly got pregnant with Luke. And we were just so excited, right? Yeah, I think I was more excited. <laughs> I think um, so. <laughs> than you, but I I just yeah, I, I knew I for me at least I knew it was time. I was ready for another one. And I know for me, you know, it's just maybe it's just because I'm a guy, but you know, I wanted a son. You know, we had prayed for it. Um for bigger reasons than just oh, I want a boy because I'm a man. You know, it goes deeper than that, but um yeah, so I was excited when when you got pregnant. How did you feel when um, we found out we were having a boy? <laughs> uh, it was exciting, obviously. Like, I was, I was really happy. Um, I wasn't, like, I thought it'd be emotional when I found out, but I wasn't. I was just, I've always been very, you know, okay, like, that's that's that so let's get to the next step i'm sorry no that is not how you reacted (laughs) (laughs) you um okay so the way we found out we went to the doctors and um we're not into that whole gender reveal thing uh let me scratch that no adrian is not into (laughs) the whole gender reveal thing i would like that but we just didn't anyways so the doctor put the um results inside the envelope 
and we were going to open the... Because I'm at work. Yeah, he was at work while I went to the doctor's. And so we were going to open the envelope together. And so we were sitting down, ready to open the envelope, and he opens it. And I don't even get to see the envelope. He jumps up and starts, like, putting his fists in the air and saying, yeah, and all excited. It was like the Lakers won a championship. That was your reaction. Okay, well, I was, uh, yes, I was excited, obviously. Um, I mean, I had his name picked out when you were pregnant with Mia. Well, with Mia, we didn't know she was a girl, so we had two names picked out, and Luke was one of them. And then the second name was Amelia, so depending on what came out, because we learned Mia was a girl when she was born. But anyways, you were really excited. I was. So then our pregnancy, you know, was pretty normal. We didn't have any complications. Um, I, it was, I was healthy. Everything was good. Um, it was just a lot of expectation. We were both just excited to, you know, have our baby. And that was it, you know. Then the baby was coming nine months and he was born at 40 weeks and three days. So then, um, so with me, I had a C-section and I was so stuck on and just focused on having a natural birth this time. And I was all about, okay, this time I'm going to have him natural. I don't want an epidural. Less interventions are better. And then I was in labor for like, I don't know, 12 hours, and we finally went to the doctor, I mean, to the hospital, and I literally thought I was having him. Like, I, I thought, thought you were, too. It was... I mean, you were... Yeah, it was... Um, yeah. I was dying. Yeah, you really <laughs> thought you were. Like, I didn't, but that wasn't going to tell you that. But, yeah, you were... I remember you saying, like, okay, we'll leave. It was probably five-something in the morning, and you're okay we'll wait till six o'clock i had been in labor all night (laughs) yeah so it gets probably like five minutes past and i'm like it's you know five minutes till six and you're like i can't even hold it so no you're like let's go now i was like oh okay i thought i wanted to push (laughs) so anyways we get to the hospital and you know i'm in a lot of pain and they sit me down and they're like, you need to relax. You're probably going to have the baby. You need to lay down. And I was like, no, it hurts too much. And she checked me and I was like, okay, like we're going to do this right now. And I was, <laughs> what was I? One centimeter, <laughs> barely. <laughs> I was, Not even a full, but. I was barely one centimeter. I felt so, so, so pathetic because <laughs> I thought he, I was already giving birth. I was I couldn't accept that. I was like, no, that nurse is wrong. Bring me someone else. <laughs> and yeah, so I, at that moment, I was like, oh wow, that epidural, I need it because <laughs> I can't even handle one centimeter. And so, well, you were before you got the epidural, you were laboring for about six hours. Yeah. Without it, and you had probably no. It was more. It. it was more than six hours. I started like at ten the night before, and by this time it was. Oh, seven. I'm sorry. I was just counting the hours inside the hospital. So when we got oh, yeah. there, it was about six hours, and then plus here at home. But yeah, I mean, and you only really went half a centimeter in those <laughs> I six labor, hours. Yeah, I labor very slowly. Um, so then after that, I um, I got the epidural, and that relaxed me a lot, and I was opening one centimeter per hour. So 
that was good that my body was progressing by itself because I was still scared that um, I could still go in a C-section, which I really didn't want to. Yeah, we had prayed, I mean, we had prayed, you know, the week, weeks leading up to it, but just because we knew how important it was that you wanted to have him, natural. you know, natural mm-hmm. um, and go through that experience of, you know, I know, it, obviously it's painful, but also the joy of having your child that way. So yeah. that's why we had prayed, and I know how much it meant to you um, to do that. So Yeah. So then everything went fine. There was no issues. So at 37 weeks, when you're pregnant, you get a test to see if you carry a certain bacteria that's harmless to you but could be very harmful for the baby. And I was tested for it, and I came out negative. So when I was in labor, they asked for that card. And what is that test for? It's for GBS. It's for GBS. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's for GBS to see if you carry that bacteria of GBS, which is harmless to a, uh, a grown adult, but to a baby, it's very harmful. And if you do carry it, you are just supposed to get antibiotics while you're in labor, and everything should be fine. But I came out negative. So I gave my card that said I was negative to the um the nurse while i was in labor and you know i progressed fine everything was going good the baby was fine healthy the baby was born you know i pushed for what 30 minutes <laughs> he was out pretty quick again i don't really remember how long i just remember the experience of watching it <laughs> you didn't want to see you had I, said I, no. I, no i really didn't i was like i'm not i'm not going to um but it's like right there and it, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but it's like a, you know, it's like watching a bad car crash. You can't help, but, you know, <laughs> look, you know, so, but I'm not going to describe it as like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it, it, it is an experience to witness your child being born. It is like, wow, you know, and, and you do feel a certain kind of way after you know, they come out. So, um, yeah, it was, I mean, kind of glad I looked because once, once I did, I couldn't stop. Um, and again, it was just, it's crazy to see your child being born. It, w- it was a good experience. Um, I think it was, a, I think I felt like it was a perfect birth for, for us and it kind of redeemed us from, from the C-section that we felt kind of like very chaotic. Yeah, and, two um, different experiences. Yeah. So then the baby was born and he was perfectly healthy. He was, nothing was wrong with him. He would, scored a, around a nine in his APGARD, meaning that he passed all the tests as with almost perfect scores. And um, yeah, then they left us in the hospital. Well, he, he, was, he was born six pounds, 12 oh, yeah. ounces at 11.30 on August 4th our wedding anniversary yeah so now we have to share our wedding anniversary with luke's birthday (laughs) so he was born on our wedding anniversary that was actually pretty not a bad present no it's not it was pretty amazing he didn't really cry cried a little bit i remember really i don't remember hearing him cry at all yeah i know they were tending to you (laughs) yeah after he was born they left us to you know be with our baby and yeah i remember when i got to hold him for the first time um 
I just remember it, like he did feel small, mm-hmm. um, and he just had his eyes open. He had huge eyes. He was yeah. I mean, he was just kind of looking at me, and his sharp nails. <laughs> I remember <laughs> it was when I was like, man, he's digging into my chest, because um, we were doing the skin to skin, and um, yeah, I just. I'm trying to remember the feelings that I had. Obviously, it was happiness, but because of the type of person that I am, that I have, you know, I'm a bit anxious. Birth is always like, I, I just want it to, everything to go okay. And once he's good and they checked him and they've left us, I always feel like, okay, okay I can breathe now. And it's more like relief. I just held him. They usually leave you alone for like about an hour. Yeah. Um, so you can bond with mm-hmm. the baby. And we talked about, um, you know, just giving our kids back to, to God because of the blessing that he gave us. So we did. Yeah, we've always been really conscious and aware that our children, we pray for them and they're a blessing but they're not ours, you know, they're, they're a gift to us from God that we watch over them, we take care of them here on earth, but, you know, we help them carry out the purpose of living a, a godly life. So we've always, you know, had it in our mind that when our babies are born, we, we give them back to God because they're not ours. So the baby was born at 1130, and then by the time we got to a room and we were settled in at around, what was it, three o'clock in the morning, you had fallen asleep. I was still with the baby and he was just really fussy. Um, he was making a lot of grunting noises. He wasn't crying, but he was just really fussy and making grunting noises and he wouldn't stop and he wouldn't relax. Like I would try wrapping him, I tried changing his diaper. Another thing was that I was had tried feeding him since he was born at 11 30 and it was three o'clock in the morning and he still hadn't eaten anything which I thought was really weird but the nurses kept telling me like that's normal it's fine don't worry about it he's okay after 24 hours is when you worry in my head I was just like how do you have a baby and wait 24 hours before you start worrying if they're not eating so um, I kept on trying to feed him he didn't want to he had never latched and um so something inside me was like you might have to call the nurse because it doesn't sound normal it sounds like it could be his breathing it it sounds like he's crying but his face is very calm it just didn't make sense so i called the nurse and um, i asked her to come check on him and they sent someone over and they were like he's fine you know He's just, you know, getting used to new environment. He's just born. He's a newborn. And then they were like, you know, slapping his back, like trying to burp him. But I was like, why are you burping him? He's He hasn't eaten anything. And they're like, well, that's okay. And I had to kind of push, like, please go check his breathing. Like, I don't think it's okay. And so they were like, okay, we'll take him. So they took him and um, I fell asleep waiting for him and I didn't realize I fell asleep but I was exhausted obviously we had labored all day and I hadn't slept so I knocked out and then I woke up at around six in the morning 
and a nurse came in and she told us that the baby was in the NICU. And I was like, well, I don't understand why he's, he was fine. And they were like, well, he, he breathed in some meconium. So there's something wrong with like his, his lungs need to clear up. So he's going to have to stay in the NICU for four days. And I was like, well, that means I'm going to, I'm not going home with him. And so that kind of like freaked me out a little bit, but I was, they made it seem like it was not a big deal that that happens all the time. And they just had to clear up his lungs and he should be fine. Um, so that was how he and started his NICU stay. What did you think when? Well, like you said, I I had fallen asleep. And I remember you first waking me up to tell me, like, you know, he just sounds weird. And I had gotten up and you're, like, telling me, like, he sounds like he's crying, but he's not. I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't have that motherly instinct you had. Um, so... I thought, like, that's kind of weird. Like, maybe you should call the nurse. And then um, I remember, again, like, just being so exhausted that I, I laid back down. And, like, I, I don't even remember falling asleep. I just remember waking up to you telling me, like, the baby is not back yet. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? And she's like, well, they took the baby. And I said, like, I don't remember. Like, you're asking me, you don't remember when they were here in the conversation. I was like, and I didn't. Like, I was having glimpses of me kind of, like, remembering them there and in and out of sleep and then so I was just like I didn't even know he was gone so that's why I was like wait what do you mean he's gone and when you said they had they had taken him to NICU yeah at that point I don't remember like it's so bad I told you I have like really bad blank spots looking back at the whole time in the hospital um so you remember a lot more than I do but that's to that point that's what I remember mm-hmm yeah yeah, um, I have a, I don't know why, but I feel like I could remember every single little part of this whole process because after they told us that he was going to be there for four days, you know, um, we got up, we ate breakfast and they didn't allow you into the NICU until what, 8, 8 a.m.? So we went in around 8.30 and the baby was, he wasn't in an um, incubator, he was just in a little bed that had like a heater on top and um, he was still making those ground grunting noises like he was just not crying but you can tell he was struggling with something and so we carried him and you know we still didn't realize the, the severity of what was happening so we were still really happy like I wasn't feeling scared or anxious you know, I, knew, I was dreading having to leave the hospital the next day because I knew I wouldn't take him home with me. But that was about it. I was just kind of like, okay, we just have to wait out four days or three days, whatever they said. Um, but it wasn't going to, it wasn't something I was scared or anxious about. I don't know if you felt the same way at first. Well, you know, like I've explained before, I naturally have little anxiety. So, um, and I was calm and not fully understanding at all. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, just four days. Like, it still seemed like a long time. But I was like, okay, like, we'll just get through the four days and and we'll get out of here. Um, like I said, it, he didn't sound good um, with his breathing. I thought it was like something with his breathing. Um, and you hear about the NICU, you 
you know, we've obviously had family members who've gone through it, but we, we don't really know too much about it. Yeah. So uh, even being in there, like, it doesn't really hit you, like, there's, if there's something wrong. Right. Yeah, that's so true. So then um, we, we went back to the room, um, and um, we had breakfast, and I had to start pumping already, and we went back, and my parents came, and they wanted to see the baby, so I walked my mom, and while we were there, the doctor approached me while I was with my mom, and he said that they run um, diagnostics on the baby every t- any time they're in the NICU, and they ran a blood test for Luke, and that they found him to be GBS positive. I was so confused because, like I had mentioned earlier, at 37 weeks, every pregnant woman is tested. And that test came out negative. So I looked at him confused, like, you must must be mistaken because I was negative. How could he have that? And he said, I don't know. I don't know how he got it, but he does. And we have to start treatment right away. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said that him having GBS is that the the infection or the bacteria started in his lungs. And that's why he was making those, those noises, those grunting noises. And then from his lungs, now it had gone to his blood. And that's why he, it, the blood came, came back positive. So he had been born maybe less than 24 hours and he was already on the antibiotics. So then I ran to tell to tell you and i don't know what you felt when you learned that i think i remember your mom coming to get me in the waiting room and saying like the doctor's talking to amy so you need to go um so i went and again i think i was still confused what infection like i i wasn't sure you know because i think like most people i mean that we've even learned through this whole experience, I think most, even most women, don't really necessarily know what GPS is, even though every single pregnant, you know, woman is tested for it. Like you said, at thirty-seven weeks. Um, so let alone me, I was like, I'm confused. So what? What infection? Like, what are you talking about? And you explained it to me about what they test you and to check, but that you had come back negative and. So, um, for me, it was just more like, so, okay, what, what next? Like, what, what is, I need to know like details, like, what does this mean for him? And, um, you know, that's, they had explained to us like, well, we started in antibiotics and it's typically seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. Um, and it should be fine. So we're like, again, started at four days. Now it's up to seven to 10. So not easy to hear just because you're like we just want to go home you know like for me i especially i just don't like hospitals but you know so it had to stay there longer um wasn't good news to us but it was not panic mode Mm -hmm. right i mean we didn't like that he was in there i don't i mean again i'm only speaking from my experience that i didn't like that he was in there but i was like okay let's just get through these seven to ten days Mm-hmm. let's just go home and but nothing worrisome in my head 
Yeah, um, I felt the same way when they said, okay, antibiotics, he just has an infection. I thought that it was more like, you know, okay, you have an ear infection, you get antibiotics and you run the course and you're fine. That's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah, I was not happy about the seven to 10 days. I was like, okay, now it's extended some more. But it's kind of like, well, he needs to be healthy when he leaves, so we, we have to do this. So that was that. And then, you know, we were in and out of the NICU that first day, all day. Going back, when when your parents went to see him, were my parents there? Because I know when my mom first saw him, he was not intubated yet. And he was on that bed. And I remember taking her there. And... um and it was gonna be hard for my mom to see him, so um, she heard him breathing like that too, and and obviously she was like, "Well, I don't understand. Like, what's, you know, why is he breathing like that?" And I just had to explain, like, "Well, you know, we're we're still waiting to see kind of, you know, what's going on." Um, and I don't know if I told you at the time. I remember the nurse, the first nurse, I was gonna take care of him explained to me um this is when i first kind of knew um my, i guess my first kind of thought about the NICU nurses you know she came up to us and she said you're part of the NICU family now and at the time i had no idea what that meant but she said it's a family that um, nobody wants to be a part of but your family for life so again didn't know at the time what that would mean um and then she explained to me um i guess this is the first time i felt any real emotion toward it when she said your wife is going to go through a lot right now and she's going to feel extremely guilty and um he's like so she's like um and she said and i know you're going to go you're going to feel a lot right now too. And this, you know, and at that moment, I don't know why that's when I felt like the kind of the gut punch, you know, because I don't know. I just felt like that kind of put me on a path of realizing this might be something more serious. So, you know, I just remember walking back with my mom and her telling me, you know, you're strong. And I just, I felt it inside the first time you know, the pain. And then I, you know, kind of like locked it up, like, okay, like I, she's right, I have to be, I have to be strong. That night before we went to sleep, I wanted to go and, you know, kind of like tuck him in. And when we got there that first night, he was no longer in that little bed with a little heater on top. He was in the incubator. And he was making the hardest grunting sounds. And he was, he was just struggling so much. He was just not calm. He was like writhing inside that incubator. He was just like moving around. Like his, he was not moving around like wiggling, but like just kind of like tensing up. And, you know... When a baby's in the incubator or in the NICU, they tell you you can't do soft touches. You're, the nurses are very, 
like directive in, in how they tell you you need to touch the baby they tell you if you're touching him too softly like where you can touch him how and so they were like directing me and i was kind of annoyed because you know i felt like if i can just hold him he'd be fine like i really felt like i could make him better and um so um the nurse was helping me like comfort him by like putting my hand on his bum and on his on his head and just putting like pressure but that wasn't helping finally they uh, they said i could hold him and they do what's called kangaroo care and they put him like inside your shirt and they put you right on it they put him right on your chest and he's in his diaper and you know so it's kind of like skin to skin and he's keeping warm from you but he wasn't calming down when i was holding him like i can see his little face and he would look up at me and his eyes would be with so much panic and he was just kind of like picking up his head and dropping it and picking it up and just kind of like wiggling and in in pain like he was not okay and he was struggling i know he was struggling and breathing and i held him i don't know for how long but it wasn't helping which was breaking my heart because all of these like light because he was already connected to like oxygen levels and all of that and blood pressure and heart rate monitors and so everything was beeping because he kept on moving so much and it's just it was just hard holding him that night yeah that's the last time that you would hold him for like two a week or two yeah. It was 10 days. The day before was the last time I would hold him for like a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that first night, he just progressively got worse. Mm-hmm. Every time we saw him. We went to sleep in the night, too. The doctor came in and woke us up in the middle of the night. Was it that night? Yeah. The doctor came in, and um, so we left them. And it was hard. We were there for a couple hours, and then... You know, I was still recuperating, and we had to go back to to the room, you know, sleep. And so we were asleep, and then the doctor comes in around four in the morning, and he tells us that Luke is not doing well, that his lungs are just—he can't breathe right, and he's struggling. So they intubated him, and I was like, "Well, what does intubation mean?" And basically, they had to put a breathing tube, and he was on life support. Not a hundred percent, no, not yet. Um, he, but he he was uh, on a breathing tube because he couldn't he couldn't breathe on his own anymore. They and, just need, because they needed him to calm down. Mm-hmm. He was um, really struggling. And they put him on morphine. They did. Well, for me at this point, I could, hadn't processed really any of my feelings. They were just reactions to seeing him. Um, it's not a couple of days later that I really started to feel a lot of um, emotion and guilt and all of that. But anyways, when the doctor came and told us he was intubated and he was on morphine, that's I knew something was not good, like it was getting worse. So the next day, the doctor talked to us and said that, you know, he's not doing well. He was running a fever that day. 
um, and he um his breathing was bad like he couldn't sit still he was on a lot of morphine and it wasn't helping him to calm down and um, they said that because he has GBS that he needs to have a spinal tap to see if the infection had gone to his brain but they assured us and they said you know that's very rare that only happens if usually when the baby goes home because he's in the with the infection a lot longer you caught it right away so you shouldn't worry about it you know just worry about getting through these seven to ten days and he should be fine okay so that was that was as far as the NICU stay for us like we we're out in seven to ten days that's what I had we can get through these seven to ten days he'll be fine no problem and so that was my thought but getting through those days were hard because that day was the hardest day of our lives that day um, was the day we were going home it was Tuesday and they allowed us to stay as long as we wanted to but eventually we had to leave because we couldn't stay another night so that day we um we left the hospital by ourselves and I think that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. We, um, so we packed everything up and um, we got in our car and we um, drove home and it was a hard drive home. Mm, yeah, um, for me it was different. I, I think because, you know, as a father, at least I can speak for myself, that your mind goes into fix-it mode. And so I was just like, okay, we have to leave. Um, but here's the plan. We're going to go home. We're going to shower. I think we said maybe we might take a nap. I don't remember if we did or didn't. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we're coming right back, you know, because we need to shower. You know, we need to shower get to change clothes and then we'll come back so my whole thought that was my whole thought driving home going back I guess it didn't really dawn on me or cross my mind that there's an empty car seat back there there's an empty crib when we get home the joy of bringing your child home the way you planned is no longer there you know um, we had a specific outfit picked out for him I don't know if I asked for it, but, or he just bought it, but my brother bought him for his baby shower a onesie that I wanted to bring him home that said, it's because I've been a Laker fan 20 plus years, you know, so Kobe Bryant meant everything to me. So I named him Kobe. That's his middle name. And he has a onesie that said Kobe on it. And... I was excited to bring him home in it. And again, I, not realizing that that wasn't happening, you know. So mm -hmm. I know that now, but at the time it was just, again, just about getting back to him. So yeah. we did. and Yeah, it was, it, it was hard. And I guess I was very aware that I was going home. I came into the hospital with him and I was leaving without him. It was very apparent that there was a void. He was no longer inside of me and I didn't have him with me. 
and that separation was hard. So that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, especially knowing that he was so sick. So after we came home, we we're going to go back to the hospital. And, and then when we got there, every NICU parent knows that before you get to see your baby, you literally have to shower in a sink um, because they're so um, protective about germs and you know, not letting... Yeah, so this whole coronavirus of washing your hands is no big deal. Yeah. It's like, wash your hands for 20 life. seconds. Yeah, we had to wash our hands for two minutes. Yeah, so. you had to wash your hands up to your elbows for two minutes. You had to wipe down your phone, put it in a baggie, you Which know. is understandable. Yeah. I mean, every... You don't want anything in there. The kids yeah. are really sick in there. You Definitely. Know. So, um, when we got in there... They stopped Adrian. So that charge nurse. Ginger. Ginger. She was amazing. Can't ever um, forget her. Red hair is why I thought it was funny. Her name was Ginger. Um, caught us as we were getting ready. And she says, um, I just want to let you know that you just your son has a team of doctors around him. You know, not to startle you, but... Um, just to let you know that they're they're working on him so didn't know what that meant so we're kind of like okay what does that mean so we walk in and sure enough there's i don't know the exact number but a lot of people quite a few doctors around him and his main doctor then there's either neurologist or no, neo, neonatologist. Yeah, neonatologist was basically giving him um they're begging him they're, yeah Begging him means that they put, uh, so he no longer is breathing, basically. His his levels had dropped to around, what, 20%? Knowing now, because, again, walking in, I just... We didn't realize yeah, what was going on. Saw him, and they were doing that, so we walk in, and you don't want to feel the worst, but uh, you, you know, you're, you're just looking at your baby, and they're like, you know, pumping them with air, and they're they're not panicking. They obviously don't want to do a panic and have us panic, so they're just kind of saying like, you know, we're we're trying to keep them leveled right now. And um, I just remember kind of standing there, and we had been there already for a couple minutes. No, I mean like since the Nikki, probably like two days. Oh. You know, so we kind of learned a little bit. So I remember looking at his monitors, and I know they had told you to, you know go talk to him, hold him, like, with your hands, and talk to him, which I thought was a little odd. Um, and then I, I just sensed people looking at us. You know, the NICU's not an empty place. It has other parents, has other nurses taking care of those other kids. It just felt like everybody had stopped to watch what was going on. So I felt a little weird about that, like there's something, something's not right for them to be paying this much attention um i just remember looking at the monitors and seeing for me i saw his levels at they're at 80 but because i now thinking about it because he was pumping him manually so he was pumping him pumping him and then stopping so to see if i guess he would breathe on his own and it kept dropping you know when he stopped 
remember going down to 70. You went down to 20. I remember seeing 20% on those. For me, again, I don't remember that. I just remember it dropping. And I just remember praying to God, just please let it stay. You know, like, just stay. Like, come on, like, just look. Like, looking at that number, I was like, you know, he had to be at least in the 90s. So I was like, just come on, just stay. Like, you know, don't keep dropping. And every time we kept dropping, just, you know, just shook my head. Like, you know, like, come on. And, um, so they finally were able to, I think once, cause they, they hooked them to the machine, right? The, um, the first one was a ventilator, the ventilator, which mm-hmm. wasn't even working. Well, so when he dropped, he kept on dropping and then they kept on bagging him till he was somewhat stable. And then they put a ventilator. I forgot what this one is called. But what this one does is they he's intubated. So he has his tubes going down his, his into his lungs. And this machine shakes him. Like, no. That you had done the first one. Oh, it was and, a regular one. A regular one ventilator. Yeah, it wasn't so working. So they had to bring in this other one that looked older. Mm-hmm. But more like it, big, bigger tubes. Mm-hmm. Because the first one wasn't working. Right, you're right. So the first one wasn't working. So they had to get this other machine that was a lot harsher. And what I've learned that it does is basically his his lungs were sticking together. So they were sticking. I guess I, could, I can explain it that way. And what this one, this other ventilator did that was bigger, it shook him so they could unstick the lungs from each other. And it could start blowing air into the lungs but it wasn't working and he did not like this machine because this really started to get him to dip down again into like desaturating and his levels were oxygen levels were really low so they had to change him back to the other one until he was finally able to breathe and um he was he he almost died that night um yeah i mean like you said, like you have to be at least in the 90s as a normal human being he went to down be to working 20s. properly, breathing. and 80s, know. they already start to yeah. panic. Well, not panic, but like to work on you and you start having issues and he went down to the 20s. Yeah. So then the doctor pulled us aside because he wanted everybody away from him. They didn't want any, any kind of noise would upset him yeah uh, anything would desaturate him so if there was any loud noises if they would just move him he would start dipping down so he was in just such a critical state that he couldn't keep his levels up so um and mind you before this the doctor the last two days had be given had been giving us updates on the infection the infection levels so in our head that's what we were focusing on so when they pulled us aside, um, yeah, because it was like um, the seven to ten days antibiotics for the GBS, mm-hmm. um, and then that they had to do a spinal tap, but they couldn't because he was so critical. He, he would just and he would move, and they, they, you know you go through the spine, so they didn't want to try to do that yet. But because what they're checking for, if it got to the brain, and it would become meningitis, mm-hmm. and so. They told us, you know what, we can't do the test, but we're treating him for it anyways. Like, it's not harmful if he doesn't have it. 
but if he does at least he's already getting treatment for it mm -hmm. um so and this is day two mm -hmm. you know so like she said mind you it usually takes a couple of days for people even to realize their child has GB, any type of GBS infection. They go home, they realize something's wrong, they bring him back and they find out. We were there, we never left the hospital, they took him at three hours after he was born. So that, so then he got the GBS infection, and so now he's being treated just in case for meningitis. So, you know, he pulls us aside because, you know, he's being quiet about it. I just, I, you know, I obviously, I forget the information he's telling us. You know, he's kind of explaining what happened. And I'm more concerned of, like, like she said, we're, we're focusing on, okay, he has this infection. What does this mean for him? Like, okay, you said 7 to 10 days. Is it still? Because I think, oh, yeah, because I was like, okay, we're on day 2, almost 3. Can you guys still do the, the spinal tap to find out if it's gone to his brain? Like, and I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm hounding him. I just, but I'm asking him questions. And he had just kind of had to stop me and tell me, you know what, right now, like, I'm just, I'm just trying to save your son's life. And that's really when it really hit me of how serious this was. You know, like, I didn't realize that my son almost just died. Yeah, for me, um, when they had me, a little bit we back up and they had me talking to him and um, they were bagging him. He was super calm, the the doctor, and they were like, just, you know, talk to him, tell him he, that you love him, and just like, just let him know that you're here so he can know, hear your voice. And I could barely get two words out, but I was trying to talk to him, and I knew it was bad when I saw the charge nurse crying. And I knew it was bad when everyone was staring at us, and I knew it was bad when I realized what the doctor was doing when they were bagging him. Like, I can tell, like, something was wrong. I obviously didn't understand all the medical terminology or anything like that, but I knew that that's when Luke was fighting for his life. So when they told us that, it was just confirming, basically, my fears. And um, that's when we both really saw the severity of how critical Luke was and how close we were to to losing him. Yeah, um, that's when really everything changed. Um, at that moment was, you know, the lowest point for me for sure. I know probably you too. So both of us, I mean, our entire life. So after that, I, I don't. I have blanks. A lot of blank spots during this time in the hospital. Um, specifically those two weeks. So, on our way to, we had to go pick up Mia from my mom's. I'm not sure how we started the conversation, um, about what just happened. But I just remember that's the moment I, I couldn't hold, I couldn't hold it anymore. You know, and that's when I, that's when I, I broke down. Yeah, um. Yeah, that night, I think we realized exactly just how close we were to losing Luke. And I think that it's when you and I really opened up and talked about our feelings 
in a way that we had never done before. Like, you know, we, we've been married for, for a while now and we've always been very honest with each other. We have good communication, but I think that this experience really brought us to a place where we were completely vulnerable with all of our fears and we really talked about our experience with Luke in a way that we'd never talk about talked about with anything else and I think that you and I were each other's support system at that moment and I think before that because not that we were drifting apart but we were kind of trying to process everything individually mm-hmm. so um you know, I was trying to be strong, and I know you're, you know, what you're feeling, but it wasn't like we were turning towards each other. That's and, true. And after that moment, and for me, like you said, vulnerability was the biggest thing through all of this to now. The yeah. biggest thing I've learned is to how to be vulnerable, and um, I think that's something men in general just don't do. Um whether it's a society thing or it's a cultural thing, or it's just something that's not talked about enough with men and how to deal with things emotionally, um, psychologically. So that moment was was big. Like I have never, you know, obviously I've never gone through anything like this, but I've never shown you that side of me. Right. And really it's, you know, for me, it's more like thanking you that you allowed me to. I think a lot mm-hmm. of men that go through this don't always get that chance. And it's because we've learned through this that there's there are some couples and some, you know, ladies who feel like the men don't have a right to feel anything. But um, for the most part, it's not like that. And men were honestly... it it's almost like we need permission from you guys that it's okay to do that, that it's a safe thing to do. And you allowed me that I, again, breaking down like that in in that way, uh, you, I would think you see me like that would make you break down, but you didn't, you did the opposite. You showed strength and, and, how I was to that lowest point and you, you know, you allowed me and talked me through it because it, it was just such a hopeless feeling as a, you know, what I was feeling of, I can't, I can't do anything. I cannot fix what's going on. Um, I know you're in pain and I can't help you. It's just, was just complete helpless. Yeah. And I think, I think that what helped and I think what, allowed you to open up and really be vulnerable is because I've given you a safe place and part of with any couple if you guys are really going to try to be there for one another when one person is breaking down it's important to give them the space to break down and hold them in that space without you taking over because as women I think that we sometimes become really emotional and our emotions are very big well at least mine are like crying overwhelming 
we get loud. You know, we always have that permission to let go and men don't. And when they are, it's very important that we respect the space that they're that they need in order to to break down or to be vulnerable and to let their emotions out because if we react to their big emotions or to your big emotions by me also being big then you feel like the space is no longer safe and now you have to carry me so I think that what helped you be vulnerable and honest and really helped us turn to each other is me helping you create a safe place for you to break down and not have to worry about carrying my emotions as well yeah i mean i think from one of your other episodes with um diana she mentioned that you know this type of thing can either make or break your relationship mm-hmm. you know your marriage because of the the um, the level of pain you feel and you can easily go one way or the other you know you can go just complete negative and both of you feel like you're alone in it and you can't you know just trust no one whether the mom feels like i said like she's the only one who has a right to feel anything because you know she gave birth to him and the dad feels upset because you know he can't fix it he just shuts down right you know and he doesn't feel like he has that safe avenue to feel what he's feeling because regardless i mean yes you guys give birth to the child and you have that special bond because you carried it for all that time um but you know it took two to create this life so we feel just the same amount of pain just in a different way right and i remember when that what part of the conversation we had that night that luke almost died that night we were talking and one of the things i told you that because it wasn't an easy thing for you to let go i had to really like talk you talk to you like honestly and say that it's okay that i'm i'll be here and i'll be strong in in helping you carry this burden because you need to really express and process it and you know i know that yes us as women carried the baby and we have that bond but you know i was also aware that you just met him this was the first time that you met your you really held him it was the first time that you connected with the baby on a different level other than through me so for you to almost lose your first and only son with only knowing him two three days it's it's huge it's 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 a deep fear that i can't understand because i've had the privilege to carry him so to also empathize in your perspective and your role as a father to him was important to to help you process and express yourself yeah and if it was i mean i needed i mean i needed that i think it wouldn't it'd be worse if i didn't and 
I just remember after that, and that you know it says how God meets you in those places mm-hmm. when you need him most, and it's true because you know we've had our faith for so long, but we've never gone through anything like this. So for me to say, you know, you know, I've prayed to God, you've prayed to God, you know, we've we've had our personal relationship, you know, with with Christ and. Um, you know, he speaks to you in different ways. But I can't ever say that God has directly spoken to me that mm-hmm. I heard until that moment. Yeah. And that's, again, where so much changed, so much shifted. Right. Um, when you were, again, I was just so, again, low. But yet God was there and spoke to me. Mm-hmm. you know and told me you know i have your son he's going to live and i need you to let go and that you know that that was something you know to experience something like that to hear god's voice tell you to to i need you to let go yeah to trust in him and that's really where you you know, we talked about praying for our children when they were born and giving them back to, to God. Do you mean it? Exactly. And I think this is a an example of, of how God really does meet you in those places, like you said. And he gives you that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. Really? Because after that, where I was obviously can't explain it. That's why it's, it's God how for some reason we found that peace we were yeah. still in pain and mm-hmm. saddened and we still had a ways to go in but the we hospital. felt like a calm inside of us i yeah. don't know like i said we, we know it was god mm-hmm. but it was just it's really unexplainable again that we found that peace because but, and i think it's because we let go and we really allowed god to really just take over this entire situation and just trust him in our deepest pain in our darkest valleys and a part of me it was so happy that we did you know because you can go your whole life without experiencing something this traumatic um and not really know like how much do you trust in god and for us to reach this lowest of lows and i guess for me the way i explain is that i I just didn't know anywhere else to go. Your child, I guess, you know, thinking about it now with Luke and everything, that's why it was so heartbreaking that your child looks to you, you know, as their, you know, protector and everything. So if they're hurt or they're saddened mm-hmm. or whatever, they come to you. So mm-hmm. the same thing is that we ran, I know I ran to him and yeah. because there's just no other place I could possibly think of going. And I'm so happy we did because... It's what got us gave us strength to get to that this. point to go yeah. forward um, with each other, with everything, um, because the road ahead was wasn't going to be any easier. Yeah. You know, it still isn't. Right. But you know, at least we know, you know, we have God in that place with us. And you know, another thing um, God had told me was that He had bigger purpose in this Mm -hmm. 
and I felt like he was, you know, directly telling me, and I need you basically to bear witness, and I need you to be a voice, you know, because, you know, when you look in the word, and they, you think about, you know, again, we're not comparing, but just like you think about the, you know, the apostles and all that, you know, they weren't perfect people. God chooses people that have weaknesses and uses them for strength to, yeah. to, to show that it's him. And for me, there's so many things that I just don't do that God was asking me to do. And, you know, so for me, moving forward, was uh, my answer was just to do it. anything God was asking me to do regardless because I knew everything that's happening with Luke needs to happen. And there's a purpose, and I have to believe in that. Yeah, and I think that this this night really like you said shifted everything and allowed us to gather strength to really get through the next few weeks thank you so much for listening this far we decided to split the story into two separate episodes because it was getting a little long so if you want to hear the rest of baby luke's story come back in two weeks if you would like to follow along luke's journey you can follow my personal page on instagram at amy j Barr. Follow the NICU family on Instagram to connect with me and the rest of the NICU families on the podcast. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and if possible, leave a review. Until then, stay strong and don't lose hope.